Hey, Simon. How you doing? Happy holidays. Hey, Dave. Thanks. Yeah, great to meet. Uh, it's it's always a funny one seeing someone on YouTube and then um, actually speaking to them. So, uh, yeah, like great to meet interactive television. Exactly right. Yeah, strange concept. <laughs> this is this is my ninth call of the year. What what uh, for well, a holiday chat? What uh, what do you want to talk about today? Yeah. So. Um, We've spoken a couple of times on email. Um, okay. I'm, I've been interested in buying businesses for probably five years now. Um, two years ago, I went just over two years ago, I went to a, um, a, a no money down by a buying a business no money down session. Um, how many did you buy? Well, I couldn't actually proceed because it was right at the start of COVID. And at oh. the time, I was, I was living in Spain, um, just trying to work out where I wanted to live and what I wanted to do. And I made the plan to come back to Oz and, and, and do all that. But as soon as I got here, I realized that um, I, th I think the no money down thing might work possibly, but perhaps it's better suited to a, you know, a bigger market like a UK or, or USA. Um, but it, it seems a lot of people we, would be doing it. And so your chances of succeeding will be quite low. Um, but it seems to me, um, based on sort of conversations I've had and, and for, from what I know about the Australian market, that, it, that, that cash or capital is a little harder to come by over here. Um, it's a bit more of a conservative um, country with regards to, to lending. Uh, and there's less people, so there's le less depth in the market. And so kind of straight away, I was like, I just don't think this is going to work. And then there was a guy called David Koch, K-O-C-H, Koch, I think his name is. He's a, he's a big TV celebrity. Hmm. And he started promoting No Money Down programs on national TV. So... I kind of started to get a bit suspect. I was like, I'm not, not sure this is the best way to go about things. So I realized that having watched a bit of, you know, your stuff and um, listened to a few of your you know, YouTube videos and things, um, I thought, you know what, let's just do this. Let's just prepare to do this the old fashioned way and, and raise enough capital um, so that when, if, when I come to do it, then I'm not kind of like, you know, you know left high and dry pitching to the owner that I actually have no money, but right. so, uh, I want to go buy a business. So then, so now, you know, that COVID period has gone, Australia yep. is now reopened uh, for travel yep. and everything now. Yep. Um, and so is it your plan then to, to purchase a business in Australia? Is that what you're aiming to do now? Right. So th this is where I'm at. Um, I, when I messaged you first, I was looking at becoming a business broker, thinking that'd be a great way to speak to people that do, um, that do, business buying to kind of get the first-hand experience about what it is, what's, what it's all about, um, you know, meeting contacts on the ground and, and, you know, potentially leveraging from business broking into, um, into business, buying a business outright. But the finances weren't great. And the more I spoke to people like yourself and various other people, mm -hmm. that the amount of capital I could have made as a business broker, it was risky and it was low relative to how much I'm making, um, I work projects in in banking and finance, sort of tech and data, that kind of thing. So the okay. salary the salary I'm on is pretty good, and just give that up to kind of you know be a business broker and not make any money potentially for a year seemed a bit financially risky. So I backed off that idea. Um, I've got a number in mind of what I think I need in order to be comfortable to raise um, to to buy a business, but that's one of the questions. In fact, that's the main question I want to ask you. Um, but I figure I'm probably a year to two years away from it, which is frustrating because I wanted to get, you know, I've been trying to get out of my career, like my corporate career for about, about six years now. So 
Um, to have to add on another one or two is frustrating, but it's kind of a realist approach to mm-hmm. it. Um, and so I thought, look, in the meantime, well, the, the other question I had is what skills do I bring to a business that I'm buying? I've got good finance and analytics background, but actually no real hands-on experience. I dabbled in e-com a few years ago. I try to set up a fast food, like an innovative fast food chain. Um, so I've got some re- reasonable experience, but I wouldn't call it you know, proper experience. So there I am going, right, I need capital to buy business. I'm a year to two years away. What can I do in the meantime? And all of a sudden I'm back into e-commerce. So I'm working on a product idea as we speak. I'm gonna run with this. There's a potential chance that, um, well, the, the strategy I'm thinking is that if you're worried about the skills you can bring to buying a business and e-com is a good sort of technical skill to have, is that not the best way to go about things? If you're just killing time, why not try and build an e-com company? And if it all goes wrong, at least, at least in a year or two's time, you've got the experience that you can then go pitch to a company and say, look, this is the experience I've got. Mm. I've got management degree. I've got finance and analytics background. I'm a good guy, a good option for you to, to sell your business to. Uh, and so that's the angle. Let's do e-com now and let's, you know, let's see how business buying goes in a year or two's time. So, so that's really, um, that's, a, yeah, just to, just to summarize okay. all that, that I'm pro- probably a year or two away from buying a business. I'm just going a kind of in a roundabout way doing this e-com and, and everything else. So, yeah. So, so what would you like to talk about first? Would you like to talk about access to capital and resources that you can take advantage of and how much money you might need first? Or do you want to talk about the time? Yeah, let's talk sums. So um, the, the, like if I've gone, gone from a no money down business buying program to no, come on, let's get realistic. If we're looking, if I kind of take what the business program is telling me, look for businesses in this sort of, um, I guess if we talk US dollars, the one to $5 million revenue range. Let, let's let's start with something simple. Let's say we're looking at a, at a two million dollar business, um, and then let's say EBITDA is what do you want to call it? Five hundred mil for you, I mean you, I know it's a, just a, we're thinking about the multiple. So right. So so in, instead of talking about revenue, let's talk about cash flow. So okay. so if you're going to be talking about a business with an EBITDA of about 250 or 300,000. Yeah. You know, in a, in a, a lot of the times a business like that will sell for maybe two, 2.3, 2.4 times. Yeah. SDE normally, sometimes yeah. closer to three times EBITDA. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so, so for that kind of business, um, typically, now I've worked with people in Australia before, and I, I know that in the Australian market, there's, like you said, there's there isn't the same kind of access to capital as there might be in the United States because they don't have a program like the SBA. But in that market, you know, typically buyers still come to the table with some amount of down payment. Banks are still interested in doing some financing if there are tangible assets, some kind of collateral at play that they can yeah. look at in the business. And most of the business brokers in Australia I've spoken to, um, you know, they prepare their sellers to know that they're going to have to finance part of the deal. Yeah, and and so um, a lot of the smaller deals are done because people will leverage their real estate assets, you know, their home or whatnot. Mm. Australia has had a lot of growth in in real estate prices, so there's a lot of people that are taking equity out of their home. But in general, and this is kind of a rule of thumb globally. Like I was talking with a guy in Peru, and he was talking about the same sort of thing. 
bankers in general, when they look at a deal, like to see a debt to equity ratio around three to one at, at, yeah. at the highest, which means yeah. you need about a quarter. So, so if you're going to look at a business that has a cash flow of two hundred thousand dollars, and that business is going to sell for between four and six hundred thousand, then yep. you need between one hundred and one hundred fifty grand of your own money that you can put into this deal. Right. Um, just run those numbers again. So you're saying uh, what was the cash flow number one? So if, if we're if we're if, saying a cash flow of two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred for six hundred. Um, so it it could sell for between four and six hundred thousand. Yeah, and so a quarter a, a quarter of 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 that would be between a hundred and one hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, okay, uh, which is kind of the number I had in mind anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. That, that's that's kind of re- that's what I thought it would be. Um, that's uh, good to know. I was, I was thinking I needed probably two hundred k cash of my own to kind of get started on a on a reasonable deal. Well, and and even if you only need 150 down payment, the other 50 grand is going to come in handy because it's going to help you with all sorts of other fees. Oh yeah, and you may yeah. need to top up operating capital and, and things yeah. of that nature. Yeah, when when you do this, when you go through this process. Yeah, the, uh, I have. So your background is in you said general business analytics and then IT and. And sort of development a, work. I started off as a banker. I was a junior banker back in the day. Right. Um, I was on the grad program uh, again in the in the lending stream, and then um, did some um, more senior or um, uh, bigger ticket lending in London. Um, and then, for whatever reason, decided I wanted to go down the more sort of you know uh, quantitative route. So I moved into market risk. Um, yeah, so that was like markets, markets and derivative risk, and then I leveraged into what well, I leveraged. I, I picked up a job in, in contracting, thinking that I just wanted to get out of the corporate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call it a corporate rat race. That's a negative, you know. There's still, you know, there's still a lot to be said for it. Uh, it suits many people, and it's, it's, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's largely the way of the world. But I've been trying to get out. Um, contracting allows you to um to you know pick up jobs and stop jobs and and no one really asks questions about um you know where you've been for six or 12 months as long as you've got the skill set they'll they'll hire you so yeah that's where i've been that's where i'm at um and yeah again uh the business buying approach was just it it seems you know when you daydream about the idea of being a business owner is there any particular kind of business you feel attracted to um it's a Good question. I mean, the the ecom angle I like because that that question comes at me a lot. It's like when I tell people that's what I kind of not to say kind of, but if that's the direction I'm headed, what businesses would I like to buy? And I kind of get stuck. I'm like, well, look, I'm kind of open to any business. Really, it doesn't sound like a a strong answer. So if if I say, look, I'm looking for those with an ecom platform, and all businesses really should have an ecom platform, then that's my angle. Um, sure, if it's in um, you know, areas of interest, um, retail, uh, clothing, or um, uh, again, so, I've said I'm sector agnostic. That tends right. to be my approach, but I still think it's a little bit of a wishy-washy answer. But that's uh, well, but, kind but of let's let's explore kind of e-commerce because e-commerce, yeah. in, to, in my mind, is the sale of, of goods and products through the internet. Right. Yes. Yeah. And and so, what attracts you to that? Is it the idea that you're 
overheads would be lower because you're doing business online or what, um, what's do you when find I say attractive? e-commerce I just mean online selling that that's really all so um I've been watching a guy on a couple guys uh one guy I can't uh a guy called Ty Lopez. He used to flood everyone's inbox with, you know, mm. become a millionaire, you know, overnight sort of thing. And anyway, I he, know him. He, he go, he's in his garage with the Lamborghini. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. It lives in Beverly Hills, I think. Um, but he did actually leverage into, you know, from ecom um, into buying some, you know, taking over some pretty big companies. And that's that's where the two worlds collided. I was like, that is he that bought is a some legit legacy strategy. brands. Like I think he that's bought right. Radio yes. Shack and, and a couple of other of these. Yeah, old that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you realize that's that was the first time I thought, hang on, there's a there's a match between ecom and business buying. And there's a, there's other guys, a young kid, an Aussie kid called Davey Fogarty. And he's just done the same thing. I mean, he he started ecom four years ago, and he's now you know doing hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue every year. Um, he's a bit of a um, certainly a bit of an ecom guru, but he's now just made his first business purchase in Canada. Funnily enough, he's bought a sort of outdoors brand. But the idea is is that um, you know all businesses need to have an online selling platform or an yeah. e-commerce platform, um, but yeah, again, therein lies the link. If I do e-com, it's, it's, it can allow me to leverage into buying a business. So w- one of the greatest things about most small businesses is that they have some kind of inherent moat or protection. Like a lot of the times when I deal with people who are looking at buying a business, one of the things they'll say is, I want to buy something that can't be done from China or delivered by Amazon. Right. And it's it's because they see the internet as being, you know, if you want to think about it, like, like a shopping center. It's like the world's biggest, yeah. most competitive shopping center. Right? Yeah. Hyper competitive. Yeah. Everyone has access to everything all the time. Yeah. And so one of the things that draws people into the world of small businesses, they can say, well, if I'm if I'm the best, you know, purveyor of a certain product in this geography and people mm. can't get can't get it online, then yeah. that means that I'm, you know, going to be protected to a certain extent yeah. in my business. Right. Now the idea that you find a small business that doesn't have any kind of real online presence and you introduce that, I mean, is a very good strategy. A lot of people are trying to run with that right now. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and you can find businesses that don't have a very good online strategy. You can ha- find businesses that put up a web page in 1994 and haven't changed it yeah. since, right? <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, yep. there's, there's all kinds of things that you can find. Yeah. But when, uh, when I help people find a, uh, what kind of business they want to buy, we often start with a list of characteristics. And so not having a strong online presence could certainly be on your list of things that you're looking for. And you've already mentioned a certain size of cash flow. Like given your earning potential in the labor market, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense for you to buy a business that isn't going to be able to produce about a couple hundred grand of revenue for you, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So if we know that the average small business has an SDE up to 20% of the revenue. It means that if you want $200,000, you need a business with a minimum of a million dollars in revenue. Yeah. yeah. So there's another, another, there's our third. So our, mm-hmm. our first is no online presence. Our second is at least $200,000 of cash flow. Our third is at least a million dollars of revenue. Yeah. Okay? So, so we're, we're building a criteria list. The next, the next thing that we could get into is, are you more interested in um, a tangible intensive type of business or are you open to more of a service kind of business? 
So tangible intensive would mean more inventory or equipment or, you know, delivery trucks, like more capital items. Yeah. That type of business is typically easier to get institutional financing for because you've got collateral items in the business Yeah. versus a service business, which has lower CapEx, um, harder to get bank financing for, but the seller might be more prepared to realize that they need to do some more financing for you. Yeah. Right. The, the, the more service side might be more apt for quick growth because it doesn't require a lot of capital sure. infrastructure to grow. Yeah. So, so that's, this would be another common decision that people make between yeah. one and the other. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, um, I love analytics. So if I can find a company that just, you know, it looks like I can improve it via analytics, mm-hmm. um, that to me is appealing. But I probably, it probably leans towards more of the service sector, a uh, service um, style business rather than, than a product style business. But but who knows? I mean, that there is also the beauty of, of e-com is that there's a lot of analytics wrapped, wrapped up in it. Well, can you give me an example of, of a way that you might use analytics to improve a business? Uh, yeah, I mean, analytics is... Um, uh, uh, yeah, so off top of my head, um, I've been thinking about like... Um, mortgage businesses i mean look just again totally random i saw this guy just bought the phoenix suns for example a guy I can't remember his surname but uh he he was she started a you know, mortgage company that competed with rocket mortgage i don't know anything about either of these companies but but us based but he he started um uh yeah he started a company with 75 staff a few years ago it's now got you know tens of thousands and he's a he's a billionaire um, how do he have used analytics? Well, I mean, may, maybe that's a kind of okay. A sexy look. Hang on, you're talking about a big business. I'm to, well. I'm just trying to give an example of how analytics. Right. Your general answer, or so, your no? Analysis? Let's let's think about a small business context. Yeah. Like like how would a small business use analytics? So so I'll I'll give you an example of how I've done this in one of my own businesses. So okay, sure. Um, one of the first businesses I had was a junk removal business. Right. And the guys who drove around the truck had to record when they arrived at a site and when they left a site. Perfect. And yep. We were able to figure out how much time they spent there and by yep. inference, how much time it took them to get to the different points as they traveled around. Yes. Right. There you go. And, yep. and so, so if I were to figure out a better way to route my truck, I might make, it might be, be more efficient, but if I only have one truck, my improvement doesn't really scale. Yes. I make one improvement yeah. once and then I've, I've yeah. harvested all the gains from that exercise, right? Yeah. So in order for, if, if, if what you're bringing to the table is a strong analytic capacity, we need a place where improvements can be made and multiplied. So... It's funny, I was talking with someone the other day, almost along the same lines. So I think one of the characteristics for the business that you're looking for should also be that you want to have a larger staff versus a smaller staff. Okay, cool. Or serving a larger number of clients versus a smaller number of clients. Because wherever you have a large group of actions, 
yeah. you have a greater opportunity to make small improvements that will add up to material outputs. Right. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, whereabouts are you living now? You're, are you in one of the big cities in Australia? Yeah, I'm in Sydney. Okay. Australia. Yeah. How um, have you ever been part of a, an organization where you meet and spend time with other small business owners? No. I, I would say that that should be one of the number one things that you do over this period of time. If we're going to talk, talk about a run-up period for you where you're going to be yep. saving money, yep. doing some work, starting your search, yep. I think you need to get some small business owning friends. Okay, because, cool. Because, uh, and I run into this quite a lot where if you remain isolated and your connection to the business world is through the internet, yep. you, you keep getting, and it, it happens to me too, you keep getting drawn into the clickbait about the guy who's competing with Rocket Mortgage. Right. <laughs> and, and it's just, it's a conversation that is not going to in any way apply to the day-to-day of what you will end up yeah. doing when you own a small yeah. business, right? Yeah. But if you if you join like a Rotary Club chapter or something like that, mm-hmm. and you are in a room having lunch once a week with an accountant, a lawyer, a dentist, and the guy who owns a janitorial company and, a, you know... Yeah you know, the guy who's the Burger King franchisee and the stuff like that. And they're talking about the issues they have with their employees and they're talking about, you know, the truck that keeps breaking down and like, yeah, you, you will, um, you'll, you'll, you'll through osmosis and through those conversations start mm. to pick up more on the threads of, of what this world is, is really about. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So, so now we're talking, so what do we have on our list so far? Uh, online presence, 200 SD mil plus cash flow, largest staff versus smallest staff or clients. That's for analytics. Join a small business club. Right. And so as far as characteristics for a business, I would say that if we're looking for a larger staff or a larger number of client interactions, most likely you're leaning towards a service business. There we right? go. Okay. Which which will likely have more people working in it. So yeah, you know, a think about like somewhat a business that serves people at their home, or a business that you know has a lot of customer interactions. It's it's um, sometimes when we're looking for inspiration, one of the best things you can do is literally just take your car and drive around in an industrial park. Right. Or get a copy of the yellow pages if you can find that and yep. mm-hmm. flip through and just look at the, in the yellow pages, you can look at the headings of the different types of businesses. Yeah. And you can just ask yourself, does this type of business meet some of these criteria that I have on my list? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can start to identify categories that you might not have thought of. Yeah. That, that could well fit within what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. I mean, that that no money down course that I did, it did actually give a pretty good um, um, breakdown of how to, to approach businesses, how to search for businesses. So that that um, to to combine that program, that what I learned there with what you just said in terms of my criteria, that's that's very useful. Mm. The once you have an idea of what kind of industry might suit you. And I'm I'm just going to randomly pull an industry out of the air. Let's say sure. uh, like like lawn maintenance or gardening services, right? Yep. So you say that's the kind of business I would like to have because it meets certain criteria. Once you've made that decision, 
then it's super easy because all you have to do is Google uh, lawn maintenance yep. in Sydney and you get a list of all of them. Yep. And, and then it's a matter of starting to reach out. And I've had clients before who had one client in New Jersey. Um, his, uh, he was involved in a business that where he served the owners of multi-unit residential properties. And right. so what his criteria was, is he wanted to buy a business that would allow him to leverage his existing client relationships. So he wanted some kind of building related business where he could help renovate or rehabilitate these multi-unit buildings owned by people he was already doing business with. And so he started with the notion of flooring. So he explored over a three-state area, um, any kind of flooring contractor or flooring wholesaler. He didn't want to get into retail. He didn't want to serve homeowners. He, he wanted to be more large order type stuff. Uh, and he came up empty. And so then he thought about apartments again, and he thought, what else do they all have? And he thought, hmm, cabinets. So then he started his search again in the same fashion, but this time with respect to cabinetry. And he found something. Uh, he found a business that did large orders. So they would sell like, you know, 75 kitchens worth of cabinets all at one shot to a new apartment going up or to someone uh, renovating an apartment building, for example. And so it, it can sometimes just, you know, if you've identified, say, the lawn maintenance, mm. then you also say what other industries have similar characteristics, maybe yep. maid service or, or maybe, you know, I don't know, something else. Uh, and then you just kind of work through the lists and create relationships. And this is the biggest thing yep. because you can make contact with the owners of these places. And even if they don't want to sell, you still want to engage with them and talk with them because when you start to interact with the community of people who own businesses, Sydney's like any city, a small number of people own everything. Like as right. far as the business community goes. Right. And so once you start to make inroads and start to know these people and chit chat yep. with them, yep. well, what will happen is one of them will have a conversation with someone else. Yep. Something will come up that will cause them to recall their conversation with you. Yeah. So I've 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 had many clients that I've worked with over the years who've done extensive searches where they've reached out to business owners and found mm. no one who wanted to sell. And then one of those people had a conversation with someone and made a connection for them. Right. To some other business. Yeah. Through their own social networks. Yeah. And and so that type of effort takes time, which means and yep. you've got time. Like yep. you're talking about a, a 18 month to two year time horizon here. Mm. And that's sometimes what it can take. The, the other wow. thing is that the top five reasons why businesses go up for sale, small yep. businesses, mm -hmm. burnout and fatigue, yep. and boredom, poor health, the need to relocate, divorce, yep. and uh, yep. retirement. Four out of those five are not planned for. Yeah. So I've also had cases where clients of mine have sent out letters and done telephone campaigns and then... 18 months afterwards, we'll get a response. Right. So someone will receive that, that communication, a letter or something, mm. and they'll save it away. Yeah. And they'll hang on to it because they think in the back of their head, Ooh, something yep. might be on the horizon and then something yep. happens and they reach out. Right. So, so what you're proposing then really is to get the ball rolling now in anticipation mm -hmm. of an 18 month, two year start. That's right. And okay. you see, well, one of the things that 
that they probably told you in that zero down course. And I don't know what zero down course you took, and I'm not an expert on everything that they teach, but yep. you need a highly motivated seller. Of course. Yeah. Right. And so, so if you are reaching out and talking with different people and, and you find people who anticipate wanting to sell in a year or two, they, they might yep. think, Hey, this is great. You know, I'm yep. on your time horizon. We should be keep yep. talking. Yeah, but you might also meet someone who doesn't want to sell. Then something tragic happens in their life, and suddenly they need to. Yeah, and they're highly motivated. So you may be able to execute a deal even without gathering the further resources that you anticipate in the next two years. Yeah. Yes, I mean, that, that's that's the premise of of um, of the no money down is that um, uh, it was a, it was a harbor club guy called Jeremy Harbour. He's a pretty established guy. Um, uh, but but to be able to do it, you know, it's, it's not obviously able, you know, not everybody will be able to do it. You've got to have very strong um, relationship skills. You've got to have pretty extensive experience or you just have to get straight up lucky. Um, you know, like you say, you, you come across a distressed seller that just has to get rid of it and you're the only option. Yeah. So again, I think I think it's possible, but it's uh, it's... Uh, it the the uh, the number of people doing a no down a no money down course versus the number of people that actually get a business for no money. I think the numbers would be very small. Well, small, as I say, smallish. Well, I recorded another holiday chat call a couple of weeks ago with someone right. who's done one of those programs, and he's yeah. issued dozens of LOIs and had yeah. several accepted offers, but has yet to be able to complete. Yet it. to close. Yeah. Okay. So, these, these, um, Jeremy Harbour, he's put together a pretty good program. Um, I, I mean, well, why do I say that? I, I can't, I enjoyed it. Let's just say I enjoyed it. It was believable. He's a credible guy. There's a whole, like, he's got a lot of video testimonials. Some of the people you actually meet in real life. Um, so I, can't, I don't think it's like, you know, everyone's in on the scam. Um, I do think there is some legit, a lot of, let's say, legitimacy to it. Um, but again, it's, just a very small number of people that are actually able to pull it off. Oh, listen, like, I have I have done zero down deals for clients I've worked with. Sure, but here's the caveat. Yeah, there they weren't broke people, and and, th- right. and this is the distinction. Yeah. This is the distinction that I think is often yeah. missed. Yeah, is, is someone who is already in business, who already owns a successful business, already has yes. lots of assets. Yeah, that they can leverage those yeah. people can do no money down deals yeah and it's not that risky for them because they have these other resources yes it's it's the but the way it's often presented is it's presented in a way that makes someone who believe that if they are flat exactly. broke they can somehow yeah. pull off one of these deals yeah that's right yeah and that's where this this sort of scamminess um if that's the way you want to phrase it comes in i was i, I met a, a kid i didn't on say program. that you said that and, well <laughs> I, I was kind of more referring to just internet you know um programs in general because they're yeah. all all often a little bit little bit sort of scammy that, maybe that's too harsh a word but i met a kid on the program who was 25 had literally no money straight, straight out of university he's like yep i'm gonna take my i'm gonna grab a hold of the business and that's you know gonna be my career path of success it all sounded a little little bit fanciful but again there were some very successful people that had done it but i think that's right if you've got the experience you've got um strong assets behind mm-hmm. you then and it's a lot more more realistic but look i'm not preparing for that i'm preparing for you know the sort of numbers we talked about earlier um 
that, that's that's my approach. Um, hey, if I find a business for no money down, that's a bonus. But I just, like I said, I don't want to get to a situation where I found the business, but I've got no cash um, um, and just get kind of uh, left out of the deal. So uh, well, you, so, yeah. you talked, uh, let's get back to the business you want to buy. You talked a little bit yeah. about contracting. Uh, what kind of mm. contracting work were you doing? So I'm still doing it. I contract ended. Uh, current contract that I was on, what was that current? The r- most recent contract I was on ended uh, about a month ago. Um, okay. So, I mean, there's worse places to be without work than Sydney in the summertime. Um, so I'm not too bold, but it did put a, it has put a kind of question mark around the timing of my finances because I had a number in mind. And realistically, in a year's time, I would have probably had close to enough cash to um, to think about buying a business, but again, if I'm doing e-com, it just it takes a slightly different different route. But uh, I'm doing um, uh, yeah, data tech, um, man, uh, change, fundamentally change projects. Okay. Yeah. So, are there any like um, any consulting firms or companies that are in that industry? Have you? I mean, there would be doing- yes. The, the- there would be the logical thing logical career progression for someone like myself is to either move into you know project management or um, product ownership um, you know that that kind of progression or start your own consultancy and that to me sounds more appealing but I don't love consultancy to be honest Um, I don't mind the work for me I want to take my skills that I've learned as a as an analyst as a change analyst um uh, sort of management consultant style skill set, uh, along with the financial skills I picked up along the way, and use it to run my own business. I, I'm far more interested in so something, you know, something that sounds. All I can say is something that sounds fun. Um, I've got no idea exactly what that is. Let's say uh, hotels or um, food or whatever. I don't know. It's just something that's you know, like you. It's almost like we like brands for a certain reason. You can't really explain why. That same kind of thing when it comes to a business. I'll sit down. What is this business? What does it do? Mm, that sounds interesting. That's that's sort of the approach I'm uh, I'm going with. Okay, because because you know you you can buy a consulting company like like yeah. there are people in that field doing that kind of work. And yeah. you know that industry inside and out. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, I mean, look, how, how does it sound? Uh, it, when I say, if you said to me, we're just starting this whole thing again, hey, Simon, what what um, sort of businesses are you looking to buy? And I go, you know what, Dave, I'm kind of agnostic about the whole thing. Does that sound wishy-washy to you? Um, no. You know, you you actually sound a lot like what I would call a... a um, and I've worked with a lot of people like this, what I would call a corporate refugee. Um, I worked with a lot <laughs> of people night. who come from offices in very high towers that work long hours for very yep. high salaries. And they want my help to like buy a fly fishing lodge. Right. Cause they just, they want out of the city, out of downtown, yep. out of the fast yep. life. They just, they want something completely different yep. and they want to breathe fresh air and, uh, and they just, they're just looking for that radical life change. And so sure. it sounds like you're kind of all along that same line where you're, you're looking for a business where you can apply your skills, but, but the, the lifestyle that is attached to this is something that's important to you. I think so. Um, I keep thinking about what is it I want to do in life. And look, I love golf. If, if I could somehow play golf like three or four times a week, that's, that's a bit pipe dreamy. I've realized I'm actually prioritizing my career over golf. 
Um, but I did ask you that question in that email a few months ago saying, look, is it, is it feasible to buy a business, do it up, sell it? Kind of like flipping a property, but not wanting to sound, you know, dismissive of how hard running a small business is. Like, is it feasible to do that? And you suggested that, that um, there's, a, there's potentially a better way, yeah. uh, which I assume means acquiring multiple companies rather than... Well, here's here's the issue with small businesses is that they're so risky, so they trade for a very low multiple yeah. of cash flow. Yeah, and and so um, if you bought a business and you improved it, mm. um, and you made an extra, you know, let's say you took that two hundred thousand dollar business and you improved it such that it had a a twenty five percent gain in profit. Yeah, it's earning two fifty. Well, you just increased its value by a hundred. Yeah. Right, it's not like it's not like real estate where if you figure out a way to make an extra thousand dollars on the building because of cap rates, it's now worth, uh, you know, an extra ten or twelve thousand. Yeah. Right. So the the same degree of leverage just isn't there when you That's look right. at the price. Yeah. But if you improve the business by twenty five percent while you hold it for a decade, mm. well, now you've just added another two and a half years of profitability over the span of time that you owned it. And so I often say to people the 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 meat isn't in the exit of small businesses. The meat is right. in the operation and ownership. So if you buy it and improve it and make more money with it, yeah, and then you know get the systems in place where you can afford to go and play golf three or four times a week, mm. you enjoy the fruits of ownership while yep. getting to enjoy what you want to do, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you're really just building a more, um, uh, but you're building a, um, uh, a non-owner operated business. Um, there's, there's more than one way to exit. And so, yeah. you know, to, to exit the day-to-day operations yet retain most of the cash flow, you know, is, is a dream that a lot of people have. I mean, I talk to people all the time who think that they're going to, buy a business and put a manager in place from day one. And it yeah. really doesn't work that way. Right. The, the ones that I've seen where they do have a manager in place and it's successful is when someone owns it, runs it themselves runs for it. Yeah. a period of time. Yeah. They, they know the business inside now, then they yeah. can put a manager in place and have, yeah. you know, all of the information that they need to manage the business. And, yeah. and because they know it inside and out, they know what yeah. questions to ask. Yeah. You know, I, I, here in Canada, I, I meet a lot of business owners that run their companies from Florida for a few months every year. Right. And, and they oh, can perfect. do that because yeah. they, they know the business inside and out. Yeah. If, and, and then sometimes these businesses are advertised as absentee owned. But yeah. if you didn't know the business and you tried to pick it up like that, you, it would quickly fall off the rails. I sure. Think. Yeah. And what's that period of time? Like, so you, you buy a business, you want to become, um, completely versed in the intricacies of running the business. What sort of period of time is like six months, 12 months? I think years? it depends. It just depends on the complexity of the business. You know, if you're talking about a very, very simple business, it could just be like 90 or 120 days. Right. But if, if it's a, a more complex business with more sort of, if you want to think about the normal routine of serving clients, if there's more exception routines, like more mm. exceptional circumstances, then the yeah. more complex it gets. Yeah. Um, the the issue comes down to understanding what are the key pieces of information. So there's a, a story I've told a few times about a guy that I, I sold a couple different businesses to, and he was the vice president at an energy company. And 
he had a way of managing the different divisions that reported to him. And he would create these custom dashboard reports for each division. And when he bought his own businesses, he just did the same thing. So, So this guy bought businesses and kept his job. Yep. And and the managers he had in charge of his businesses would would each get a customized dashboard report that would evolve as he got to know the business. Right. And then every Friday they had to complete it. So one of his businesses was a driving school. So there would be how many phone call inquiries were there, how many emails, how many forms came in from the website. Yep. How how many of those agreed to book a sales call? And then what's our conversion into new customers from the sales calls? Yep. So yep. he was looking at that sort of marketing information. Sure. And then he would look at the, you know, the the income and expenses, the normal profit and loss statement stuff for the yep. activity of the business. Yeah. And so he would review that every Saturday morning. And then if he needed to, he would talk to that manager like on Sunday night or something before mm. the work week began. Yeah. And and just get feedback. So he would see if he had to change anything in that business or or create the resources for additional marketing or, or something, right? Promotion. So you, you have to get to the point where you know the business well enough that you can do that. But, but here's the yeah. other caveat is that uh, things happen in business and you don't have the, the I'm going to borrow another term from a client of mine. You don't have the bench depth oftentimes to deal with a sudden absence. Mm. So if you've got one manager of the business, let's say it's a you know food service business and most of the employees are teenagers and the manager quits, disappears, moves away yeah. suddenly, is there someone who can step up? Yeah. And there may not be. Yeah. Which means it's you. Right? Yeah. And that's that's the thing that you have to be cognizant of is that things can happen that will draw you back in. Yeah. Um, I saw a guy on Twitter the other day, share a story. He owns a cleaning company. He had to get in his car late at night, one night to drive a vacuum yeah. cleaner, 90 minutes to some employee who was stuck somewhere yeah. whose vacuum broke. And, and he yeah. was the only guy available to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that uh, getting out of my career full stop is more appealing than, than um, sticking with the day job and then and running a business that way. Um, um, you know, that, that sort of thing, like just kind of firefight. No one loves firefighting particularly because it's you can just stress you out and burn you out. But actually, you know, just kind of being hands on with the business, getting you know, doing those kinds of things to um, to support the business, driving 90 minutes to, to drop off a vacuum cleaner uh, sound kind of. Uh, you know, uh, very interesting from a um, it, it does uh, at least it from sounds, a novice's perspective. It, it sounds appealing, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, it does. And, and I know I can do it. I, I know what you're talking about because you know I can I can drive a one ton truck with a yeah. hydraulic hoist that dumps yeah. out garbage at the landfill because I used to own yeah. a junk removal company. So right, I had to learn how to drive the truck, and wow. I have all kinds of memories of you know, exceptional circumstances where I had to go and do things and where I had to, you know, go bring the truck here at this strange time or bring the truck there at that strange time or do this or that. And, um, and it, it is, it's good. It's a good formative experience. Yeah. Um, eventually though, you don't want to do it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. It was start to, start to annoy you or burn you out. One of, one of the two. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, hey, that's great. So what, what happened to you? You were, you were the business broker. You obviously didn't like the cash flows coming into your business broking. So you moved into, um, uh, into, into what you're doing. Oh, you're a business no. owner. And- 
before I, this. I, I, well, I left business brokerage because of the crazy cash flows and um, I became a banker. Right. So okay. I went back to the world of a regular paycheck for yeah. four years. Um, and then as people kept reaching out, looking for my help yeah. with these deals, that's what mm. drew me back into a little side right. hustle consulting. Yeah. And then when, when the bank reorganized, I had an opportunity to take a, take a package from them. Sure. And so that set me up to do this full time. Right. But, you know, in the beginning of this conversation, you were mentioning being a business broker mm. and, you know, the rationalization you made about how risky the cash flow is. I'll tell yeah. you, I met so many very educated, intelligent people who came to me in that time who thought they wanted to be a business broker too. Yeah. And when they started to see just what it was like and yeah. what that career path held, mm. they realized, no, this isn't for me. Yeah. And I remember there's one guy who I met here in my local market, and he had been very successful in helping to roll out franchise networks across Canada. And so a lot of business development experience, a lot of uh, management experience, really smart guy. He started doing business brokerage and he did it for 13 months exactly. Yeah. And, and in that time, he met a lot of great business owners. He mm. prepared a bunch of businesses for sale. He met a bunch of buyers had a whole bunch of deals fall through yeah. and most people they've got those listings and all they see is the potential commission they might earn if they sell the businesses. Yeah. yeah. What this guy saw was a value of the time he had invested mm. and the failure rate of these deals that yeah. were, you know, he thought were going to happen, but then for whatever reason did not. Yeah. yeah. And he just decided to pull the plug and he just said, I've invested too much in this. Yeah. And he left. Yeah, and I, and I thought to myself, yeah, he's he he must be smarter than me because he got to this point like in in a quarter of the time it took me. Yeah, well, I mean that, that was really the I, I kind of got lucky because I was really into it. I, the the thought of meeting people around town and and uh, you know understanding the finer workings of some businesses all made perfect sense, except from a cash flow perspective. I just thought, look, if you do want to buy a business in two years, but you're no good as a broker or you just get unlucky, where's the cash flow? There is none. So, so um, that's pretty much what what brought that idea to a halt. So, well, you, I mean, you can still create. Because you're doing contract work, you're you're technically your own boss. You tech, I mean, do you uh, just are do you act as a as a self trader or do you have yeah. like a company? Yeah, set so up? I've got a little, little limited company set up, and I get, okay. get paid via so that. So you you your limited company that you have set up. I mean, you can call yourself, you know, a a change management consultant, or you know, yep. you can use whatever term you want. You can use that as the vehicle or excuse to get out in front of people and start to do mm. that same networking. Yeah. And you might pick up some contracts from people. You might pick up some work from people, but most importantly, you can do that networking and you can just let people know that you're in the market for a business. And that this is, I think is the key thing. And I think it's lost on a lot of people today. The networking has to be out in the real world. Yeah. Like, and this is why I suggested things like looking at joining like a rotary club or something like yep. you, you get involved in an organization where there are events where you're going to run into other business people, where you have the opportunity to shake hands, where, you know, you meet someone and then you see them in a coffee shop and they're talking to someone else and you go over and they introduce you to that other new person, mm. you know, yep. and you, you trade cards and, and now you've expanded your network again yep. and cultivating and working the network 
yeah. um, is what's going to bring you the opportunities. 80% of small businesses trade hands without the use of a broker. Right. Wow, and, it's that high. And, and this is how. Because when somebody decides, I want to sell my business, the first thing they think about is who might want to buy it. Right. Right. And uh, people who are employed don't have the luxury of going around telling everyone they want to buy a business. It's, it's bad for their relationship with their yeah. employer. Right. Yeah. But in your current position, you're immune to that. Yeah. You, you can go around and tell people that you, you can do certain projects for them as a consultant and you're looking to buy a business. Yeah. And, and you can just talk about that openly and, and let the word spread. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, lots to work with on that one. Uh, again, I, I was just thinking, look, just let's just build this product because I, I did mention that I'm working on a product idea. Mm-hmm. So that's um, that's my first port of call. But there's just no reason I can't I can't um, get involved with um, the business events and, and networking and everything else. I mean, look, if, if my product takes off and I don't do it, well, no no um, no harm done in the process. Yeah, yeah. You you've you you're in a great position to to work on this um yeah you just have to get out there and and build that network yeah and then i guess you've got your uh your program that you're offering um it does look really good um just because ultimately buying a small business is very it can be very risky uh and so i can see that you know your 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 program is designed to kind of de-risk the whole process yeah, so um, you're talking about Business Buyer Advantage. Business yes, Buyer Advantage on. is an online course, and yep. it's about 14 hours of content right now, and it's, right. it's a couple hundred dollars. It's yes. lots of people have gone through it and have used that information to do deals, but more importantly, lots of people have gone through it and have more quickly recognized bad deals, right? Which I think is the more valuable aspect. Um, but then the other thing is the group coaching program, Business Buyer Adventure. And okay. that could be something that you might be interested in um, as you as you proceed down this path. Yep. Because it's a, it's a group of people that meets together a few times a month and everyone is in the same boat. They're all searching for a business to buy. And right. everyone brings deals to the table and they share and they talk about the meetings they had with sellers and they they will bring things in for us to talk about the numbers and talk about the offers and everything like that. And yep. so it's it's an opportunity to learn not just from me, but from the other people in the group. Right. And there's several people in the group who've already done multiple deals. Yeah. So there's a lot of of sharing of um, of experience that goes on in there. How good. So the the approach the approach um, would be something like do the business buyer advantage, get you kind of technical sort of skills, theoretical yeah. technical skills up to scratch, then join this uh, adventure program. Yes, that's that's exactly it. And okay. and if you go to businessbuyeradvantage.com, um, it actually puts it in that order. It says you do the training the training program and then you can join yep. the group coaching program. Um, okay. and there's people in there from all over the world. There's someone in Australia there right now. So there you go. All right. Well, I'm look, I think I'm it's all gonna uh, rely on how my product goes. I'm meeting with the industrial designer today. I instructed him last week. Um, so that's you're creating a whole new product to sell online. It's kind of kind of a weird one how this has all happened. That I've been wanting to do e-coms again. I realize I'm probably years, at least a year, probably more like eighteen months or two years away from buying a business. Got to stick with my day job. Oh, I don't want to just do my day job because I'm over it. 
Um, but I thought I could do e-com again on top of my day job, like I did five years ago, um, but with the hinds with the benefit of um, you know maturity and and greater understanding of how difficult e-commerce is. So no sooner did I buy the plat for the program. Um, that I came up with this product idea. I love golf. I was on the golf course and I was like, look, I really need something that does this. And hey, presto, there was the idea, um, which certainly wasn't how I expected the e-com um, um, career to unfold. I was more thinking that I just use the techniques that they describe in their program about, you know, using Google, analy Google Analytics, identify trends, check out, you know, um, check out those products that are trending and work out how to innovate them. And they're usually lowish cost type products. Um, that's how I expected it to unfold. But then I had this idea that I just thought was too good to ignore. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I'm doing. The, the only downside, if that's what you call it, is that my, my upfront costs to develop this thing are going to be quite high. Mm. We're looking at probably, you know, somewhere between twenty dollars to $40,000 cash of my own money. Um, which again eats into my potential business buying capital, or it does eat into my um, business buying capital. But again, too too good an idea to ignore, and um, I can crowdfund a lot of it as well. Not not the first twenty to forty, but thereafter. So yeah. yeah. Well, I was just going to say that that's how people are testing the demand for these things nowadays. Is they're putting up the the prototype or whatever on a crowdfunding thing. Exactly. They're, yeah. They're saying buy one now, and and this is how they yeah. raise the funds to to do the yeah. initial production. Yeah, it's a great great platform that you know my um, I didn't quite understand how it worked. I just assumed all investors would take an equity slice, but it's all flat fees. So you play a, a pay a flat fee to you know Kickstarter or Indiegogo. And then, um, then the guys at the crowd, the crowd funders, their only interest is getting discounted product and to be considered a you know early adopter of your you know new cool tech yeah. sexy product. It's a sale. And it's not. It. It's not an equity investment. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So that's going to be my first priority. Um, meeting with that guy later today. Um, hopefully, it comes off. If it doesn't, hey, we're back to back to the the plan of um, of uh, buying a business. So cool. Yeah. Simon, this has been a great conversation. I'm glad you signed up here this year. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. No, I, for me, I mean, look, I, I'm, I was a bit underprepared because I, I said I got back from overseas late yesterday. I got delayed out of, um, uh, delayed out of Thailand. Um, and, but then I realized it wasn't a problem. I kind of just considered my general questions and that's all I needed for now. And, and uh, yeah, you've answered them really well. So yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, Thank you very much for, for being a viewer of my videos and stuff online. And it was great Pleasure. to meet you in person. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess I'll, I'll see myself uh, on your platform at some point or. Okay, great. Yeah. Great. All right, Simon, have a great right. ho holiday season. And uh, of course you guys get to enjoy Christmas uh, at the beach if you want, don't you? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Likewise, Dave, have a, have a great, uh, great holiday period. All right. Bye -bye. All right. Cheers. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.